and he says, close your eyes. So I did. And he says, now, is it possible that sometime in the future, I don't know, a thousand years from now, you could be beating these guys? Is that possible? I said, yes. And he said, well, transport yourself to the time in the future when you're beating them all the time and they walk in the range. Now, what are you thinking? And I said, well, they're thinking they got a problem and it's me. <laughs> he says, you got to start thinking like that right now. Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where I'm on a mission to help you unleash your full potential. Today, I'm honored to talk to a legend of the sports world, world and Olympic champion, as well as the four-time world record holder in rifle shooting, Lenny Bassam. After being told in sixth grade he was the least likely person in the school to ever win the Olympics, Lenny threw himself into rifle shooting and developed his mental management system that has since helped thousands of elite athletes, special forces, and senior executives around the world to perform at their best when it matters most. So Lenny, welcome to the show. Uh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So excited to have you. And so I want to get started right away with this, this moment in sixth grade when you know the, the, the other kids in your class told you you're essentially the, the worst athlete in the school. So how do you go from that to then, you know, find the courage and a drive to push yourself to these extraordinary levels? Well, you know, I think people have a choice uh, to respond or, or react to what happens. And I, I must admit, I, was, I mean, I was in sixth grade and um, I, I had a reputation as being a poor athlete. I mean, I was slow, short and uncoordinated. There's no question about that. I mean, I, I couldn't play baseball or anything like that. I mean, I tried out for baseball, but wasn't wasn't good enough to even be an alternate someplace. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, uh, but I'm in I'm in sixth grade, and we're studying the Olympics in, Olympics in school. And the teacher makes a statement in class. You know, it's possible somebody in this class could be an Olympic champion someday. I wonder who would have the best chance. And she was just trying to to get conversation going. And this little boy sitting next to me jumps right up and says, teacher, I don't know who'd have the best chance, but I know for sure who'd have the worst chance, Lenny. <laughs> and uh, well, that just, I just decided that I'm tired of hearing this. I'm tired of being, you know, the last one picked. I was really, I was reacting more than responding. I came home and, and was all flustered and upset. And, and I talked to my parents about it. And um, my dad was a military officer and he told me, well, you haven't found the thing you're good at yet. Just keep looking. And my mother hauled me off to the library and uh, made me check out books on Olympic athletes. And uh, so I really think the books uh, got me going. You know, you read, read books about Olympic athletes and all these people had huge obstacles. Uh, Wilma Rudolph uh, was diagnosed with polio as a child. They told her she would never walk. And uh, she ends up winning three gold medals in track of all things. And I, I just got really motivated. Um, my big problem was finding a vehicle that I could do. And it wasn't long after that, somebody invited me to, to a rifle club meeting. And, and um, so I asked him, I said, uh, tell me about rifle shooting. So we, we didn't have guns in the house. We didn't know, we didn't, we didn't hunt or anything. And uh, he says, well, it's Olympic sport. 
And I said, are you sure? <laughs> none of the books that I was reading were about Olympic rifle shooters. And he says, oh, yeah. I said, well, tell me, about, how tall do you have to be to be a rifle shooter? <laughs> how strong do you have to be? And he said, oh, no, you, you don't have to be strong or tall or fast to be the best shooter in the world. All you have to do is stand still. And I thought, maybe I could do that. <laughs> so I got started because it was something that was um, a little different and that kind of fit fit where I was at the time. And, uh, but I, I put my, my heart into it. I mean, I, I, I thought, okay, this is one, maybe something that I, that I could do. And so that was it. You know, that's so fascinating. In your book, you have this quote that I love, which says, determine a goal worth trading your life for. So at what point was that, like that thing that you wanted to trade your life or at least part of your life, part of that time for, like, when did it become, when did it get to a level for you? Well, you know, it started out, uh, I, I go to this rifle club meeting, right? And uh, it was just like a, a entry level thing where people went like for a couple hours once a week. And uh, so they let me shoot and I thought, well, this is cool. And that's all I talked about all week long was going back to this rifle club meeting. And, and um, we go back the second when my father takes me the second week and, and they close the program down the very oh. second week. And I'm so disappointed. I thought, gosh, I, I remember saying to my father, you know, I'm like 12 years old, that uh, I think this is the most disappointed I've ever been in my entire life. Wow. And my father told me, he says, uh, he said, well, you know, this is the way life is, son. You know, there's, uh, there's opportunities and op obstacles, you know, doors open and doors close. And uh, so you've just got to got to decide uh, how are you going to respond to this? And I said, well, how am I supposed to respond? And he says, well, tell you what, just give me a couple of days. Let me see what I can do. So a couple of days later, uh, he picks me up from school and uh, he got the keys to an indoor range nobody was using. And he, the back seat of the car was full of shooting equipment. He took me there. So I, I, I think initially my father saved the day, you know, and so he began to teach me how to shoot. The only problem was my father didn't know anything about rifle, uh, rifle target shooting. He was a military officer and he was in combat in World War II, but, but that's different from target shooting. So, but he found out that there was a, a, an, a marksmanship unit at the base that he was stationed at. So he'd go to the marksmanship unit, get information about, about shooting and bring it back and teach me. And, you know, I, I learned from my father that, that you don't take no to mean no the first time you know that that you, you you need to say wait a minute is this an obstacle that i can overcome and i, and I watched him do that I, I watched him okay so uh the we can't shoot at this program well, well we'll make our own program okay and but i don't know anything about target shooting but i'll find out about target shooting I, so he was a great example to me and a great coach as a matter of fact um, he spent so much time at the marksmanship unit that they asked him to stay and, and coach the team. Wow. And uh, he was so good at building people. Not that he knew a whole lot about shooting, but he knew a lot about building people that he was assigned the United States Army marksmanship unit at Fort Benning. And the reason that was important, and I guess this is really to, the big answer to your question. When my father was assigned to the Army marksmanship unit, the United States of America dominated Olympic rifle shooting and all of the medalists were at the Army Marksmanship Unit. So I had a chance to meet 
the best in the world, uh, you know, and, and uh, I got inspired by them. I mean, you know, they got to travel around all over the world, different competitions, winning medals and, and uh, not making any money, but, <laughs> but, but winning medals. And uh, so I, I thought they all had the same story. Uh, they all went to college and uh, a university that had a shooting sports program. They all made All-American in college. They all took ROTC. And when they graduated, they went in the Army and the Army gave them the opportunity. And that's, so that's what I did. Wow, I love that. Now, what, it seems like your, your dad was just an extraordinary man. What would you say was like the biggest lesson he's taught you? I think the biggest lesson was probably my father was a solution-based coach, meaning that, um, that when, he told me things like uh, everything we do in life has a, has a best way to do it, and we're going to find out what's the best way. And if I'm, if I like, if I shot a bad shot, he didn't say, here's what you're doing wrong. He said, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. What's different about that and the best way? What, so I was constantly being, uh, um, thinking about the solution, not the problem. Now I, we didn't know anything about self-image at the time, but later on I would find out that your self-image grows when you think about the solution and it shrinks when you think about the problem or talk about the problem. And so uh, we always talked about the, the solution to the pro to issue. So, if, so every, every shot I shot uh, with my dad as a coach was either a, a successful shot or a lesson. <laughs> And so it wasn't like a win or lose. It was a win or learn with my dad. And uh, that stuck with me for a long time. The other big advantage we had is that for the first nine months of my shooting career, uh, I was on the range by myself. And uh, there's a lot of drama with other people. You know, when you learn how to do anything with a, with a group, you're constantly comparing yourself with other people. He's better than me. Or, uh, you know, and you hear people talking about negative all the time. Uh, you know, well, this is hard, or you probably can't do this, and uh, I had trouble this today, and well, I didn't have any of that. I didn't have any negative imprinting for nine months, and then uh, just about the time when I started seeing shooters, they were the best in the world. I mean, that, <laughs> that's a pretty good uh, recipe for winning, I think. I mean, I, I've never met anybody that quite had my, my way to get there, uh, you know, to go from not seeing any shooters at all to automatic, almost all, immediately um, the people that I started seeing were, were, I was just very fortunate that I had my dad. I was very fortunate that he got to the Army Marksmanship Unit. And, uh, but I took advantage of it too, you know, so that was, it was big, that was important. For sure. So did that moment when, when you transitioned from being all alone to then working with these, you know, Olympic level shooters, was that, did that feel like you were just being surrounded in water? Or do you feel like through that preparation of these nine months in advance, you were already like at a high enough level to be able to sort of compete and not feel completely stressed out and under pressure? Well, a little bit of both, I guess. Uh, first of all, from the time I met them, uh, when I was like, 14 or so until um until i actually got to the marksmanship unit i mean i had i had a, a high school shooting team and a four years college so i had uh, i had some time to uh 
to mature a little bit as a person. And, and uh, you know, this is, I, I knew where I wanted to go. And so I, everything was all directed toward getting into the Army Marksmanship Unit. And so um, I had met these guys, talked to them. And, uh, but when, I got to admit that when I first got the Army Marksmanship Unit, I mean, you got guys that have world titles. Uh, mm. you know, they've been to the Olympics, have Olympic medals. and. And uh, it, it's, it was intimidating for a while. Fortunately for me, uh, we had an excellent coach there that, uh, that kind of taught me a solution to not be intimidated because I, I wasn't there but about, uh, about three months. And he called me into his office and told me that uh, um, he was going to have to cut the size of the team down and uh, it wasn't really right to keep a new guy and, and cut a, someone who's already proven himself to metal. And that uh, if I wanted to stay there, uh, I had about six months and I had to be in the top four in six wow. months where he was going to cut me. And so I, all of a sudden I realized that I, I, I better, I better get get good fast. And the only way that I knew to do that was just to outwork them. I mean, I, I just got to the range early. I left late. I asked more questions than anybody else. I shot more shots than anybody else. And, and it, it, you know, hard work paid off. I mean, everybody has got at one time or another to, to put in, to build the base, you know, to get the skills down. And, and, uh, but I was on an accelerated, motivated, uh, path because, uh, you know, I didn't find 25 years later, I'm talking to this coach and he admitted to me that he made that up. He wasn't going to transfer me. <laughs> wow. He, he, yeah. He you just wanted he, to, to lighting a fire. Of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. you know, that's, that, that's one of the reasons why he's in the hall of fame as a coach, because he, you know, he could do things like that to, to, to us. And, and uh, it wasn't long after that, uh, uh, he could tell that I was being intimidated by these world-class shooters. And he called me in his office and, and uh, he says, well, you, you, can't be, you can't do that. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? I just got here. They've, they've all got 10 years of training on me. They've all got proven themselves. And he says, yeah, you're, done. you're not going to make it. If wow. you keep thinking like that, you're not going to make it. And I said, well, I understand what the problem is. What's the solution to the problem? And he says, oh, you want the solution, do you? Okay, well, I'll, I'll show you. And he says, close your eyes. So I did. And he says, now, is it possible that sometime in the future, I don't know, a thousand years from now, you could be beating these guys? Is that possible? I said, yes. And he said, well, transport yourself to the time in the future when you're beating them all the time. And they walk in the range. Now, what are you thinking? And I said, well, they're thinking they got a problem and it's me. <laughs> he says, you got to start thinking like that right now. And he gave me a very important principle. He said, uh, he says, reality is not reality. Your perception of reality is reality. And he says, you have got to change your perception because your, your training scores are, are right next to theirs. So you just got to get your attitude about them uh, squared away. And uh, so that was, that was a real turning point too. Uh, it gave me um, something that I would never have thought of on my own. So that's why coaches are important. 
Wow, you know, I love that. And it really seems like, you know, especially after the 1972 Olympics, where until then you had like that work ethic, right? You're working so hard for everything. But it, it seems like until then it was really this, this self-image that was lacking, right? And maybe also the, the mental skills to actually, you know, consistently perform at your best. So Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, for the next three years, I was on the team, but I wasn't winning anything. I mean, I, w I made it to the top four, and, and to get to the top four in the United States when we dominated everything, uh, that's, that's saying something. Mm -hmm. But my, my hard work got me to, 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 to position number four, or maybe sometimes second and sometimes third, but I wasn't winning anything. And I, there was something missing, and I didn't know what it was. I, I never would have believed that it was mental, though, because back in those days, uh, we, we actually thought that mental toughness is what we called it. Mental toughness was something you had. It wasn't something you could learn. And so uh, it wasn't until the, I made an Olympic team in 1972. And I, I got in the tournament and I choked in the, in the Olympic. I couldn't handle the pressure. And uh, I, I thought I was a good pressure shooter until I got the Olympic pressure. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so uh, it was a different level. And but when when I thought I dropped so many points that I couldn't possibly medal, uh, pressure was off, and I shot like I normally did. And so so I ended up with a silver medal. My teammate won the gold medal, and I came home realizing that I knew what what the missing ingredient was. I didn't have a middle game, and uh, and I I thought, well, this can't be true that you can't learn this thing. So I thought, well. I'm going to, I'm going to try to see if I can learn it. So I spent the next couple of years talking to Olympic gold medalists and world champions in other sports to find out, okay, what do you, what do you know about the middle game? And the rifle shooters that I knew were not going to share any secrets with me because they had to beat me next week. But, um, the, uh, the rest of the world, the other people that I talked to were very forthcoming and they were wonderful. And so I, I realized that nobody knew everything, but everybody knew something. Everybody knew a piece. And I just got real good at connecting the dots and I created a system and I used that system to win the world championships in 1974. And we are in my sport, the world championships are every four years, like the Olympics. And it's, it's two year apart, two years apart. So I won the world championships in 1974, and then two years later, I go to the Olympics, and uh, I, I'm, I'm a different person. I've got I've got mental management now, and and I uh, I win the Olympics, and I, I don't tell anybody about my secret weapon, <laughs> mental management. And two years later, I won the world championships again, and and uh, and then I realized after that that uh, you know probably ought to open up a little bit about this and so we started this company and uh, so over the last 40 years we've been uh, talking to winners all the time and finding out new stuff and better ways to explain it and so so now we've I've been a full-time mental coach for a long time and I love that so much so for our listeners could you define you know mental management and what that really entails well, mental management is a process of improving the probability of having a consistent mental performance under pressure on demand. So there are some components to that. I believe that performance is a function of three mental processes. And, and this might surprise some people because most, I think most people that come to us uh, have been spending all of their time with form 
with with the skill set. If there's a golfer, it's all about the golf swing and being able to putt and you know the technique, 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 technique. You know, and and almost no, uh, no 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 training at all in the middle game. Uh, and, and you know, but that's interesting because you ask any Olympic champion or any 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 Olympian or PGA Tour player or anybody that's a champion at anything, you ask him what percentage of your sport's mental, you get a big number back. But then if you ask, you know, the most common number, I get 90%. And then when you ask them a second question, well, if it's 90% mental, have you spent 90% of your time and money since you've been doing this on the <laughs> mental game? And they'll say, no. Well, how much time have you spent? Well, it's a very low number. Well, that doesn't make sense. You know, why, why is something, it's not that they don't think it's important. If, if they didn't think it was important, I could understand why they, they, they almost ignore it. But as an athlete, in your, your case, and some of your, your listeners' uh, cases, if they're athletes, is that we live in a situation, a society today, where it's likely your competitors are, are, have spent all of their time and money on, on learning how to do their sport, not learning how to think. Yes. And yet, yet the top people think that learning how to think is, is really important. And so if, if they, what if they did, what, what if they got really good at the middle side? And uh, so that's, that's really what we help them with is to, is to uh, a lot of times that people are looking in the wrong direction. So I believe that performance is a function of three mental processes, not just skill. Skill is one of them. It's a, a subconscious skill. And then, uh, but what you think about, which is your conscious mind, conscious mind, have, determining the appropriate thing to think about. Um, and when we're working with runners, uh, but do you, do you do long distance or? Exactly, yes, like 10K marathon. Yeah, sure. So when we're working with, uh, with long distance runners, uh, I believe that, there, that, 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 there's a, that you can actually run a mental program before the race starts. That's one mental process to, to, to give you the right mindset to, for the race. And then you, there's probably a mental process or there, there, there is a mental process, a different mental process for the first part of the race. There's a, a mental pro, different mental process when you establish a pace. There's a different mental process for hills. There's a different mental process when your body starts talking to you, say, this is nuts. What are you doing to yourself? And there's a different mental process on the last lap. So, I mean, a runner needs to know, okay, when do I engage what? And when can I just just kind of cruise? And uh, uh, so, so I get through this where at, at the critical moments, I know what to think about. And, and so that's a long, you have a long action phase. And, and that's the that's way, way we help uh, uh, runners and uh, swimmers and triathletes and folks like that. So is that really then about taking control of that self-talk and determining sort of in advance, like during this portion of the race, I want to think about this, and then I want to think about this, or what does that look like? Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. You, know, you, 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 you start looking at what are the optimum things for me to think about, because what you, what you understand really quickly, it doesn't matter what level you are in sport, you're, you probably already know this, that there are helpful and harmful thoughts. Yes. And so, so you, you, you have to kind of program in the the when, when thing when this happens what should i be thinking about and uh and so you you tend to develop a um a pattern 
of, of thoughts that, uh, well, these have worked for me in the past, and these are ones I don't want to, I want to avoid. And so when, when I start thinking about the harmful ones, I replace those with the helpful ones. And uh, I mean, I'm being real simplistic here, but, but that's exactly the process. And uh, so that you're, your, your your mind doesn't limit what the body can do. It actually aids the body in what it, in what it can do. And, and this works in all sports and, and um, sports tend to become either proactive or reactive uh, or, or sometimes both sports like rifle shooting and archery and golf are all proactive. There's and running is proactive. There's no, you're, you're not really, uh, reacting. I mean, you might, the strategy portion of a race might determine be a little bit reactive because you, you're having to figure out, okay, I've got other competitors and I've got to, uh, I've got a strategy that I'm going to run. So, so that's true, but, but it's not like the ball, when the ball's in play, like in, in tennis or that's a pro, that's a reactive portion or in basketball, shooting a free throw is pro, it's proactive when the ball's in play, it's reactive. So what happens is that you're responding to what people are doing, but uh, uh, in a proactive element, you can, you can determine what you're thinking independent of, of any, what anybody else does. And that, that's really what happens in uh, uh, sports that have a, uh, um, like 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 shooting where, where there's no nobody's going to throw you a ball or, or or something like that you're it's all up to you and, and running kind of the same way you know unless you're you're doing a team run yeah it's so interesting so it's, it's really sounds like it's, it's about getting rid of this all this this distracting chatter about like what are other people thinking or how well am i doing all of this stuff that doesn't actually serve you uh, performing in the moment it matters right yeah, I think that's really the key to the, the, the this, these three mental processes that the conscious mind is determining the optimum things to think about. But the self-image, that's the third, the third part. The self-image makes you act like you and the self-image is, uh, is, is kind of, it's kind of like a circle. We use a circle as an explanation. So when the self-image grows, you know, and the circle gets bigger, it's better for you. So, Every time that you think about the solution, self-image grows. Every time you, that you picture what you want to have happen, the self-image grows. Every time you worry that something might happen that was wrong, you improve the probability that you're going to make that happen. So, so you got to control your self-talk. You, I mean, that I, I work with a lot of really high-level uh, folks, the people that dominate their 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 sport and. Uh, are, are, are the, the dominant people in, in, the, in the sport. Number one ski shooter in the world runs our program. Number one archer in the world runs our program. You talk to people like this, they, they just don't think like, every, like everybody else. You know, they, they're always thinking about what they want to have happen. They're not worrying about that it might not happen. It's, it's, it's that kind of a mindset that uh, self-image grows and when they when they make a mistake, it's a lesson. It's not something that's happening to them. Uh, and uh, so, I just feel like that controlling, uh, understanding how self-image grows and shrinks. It, it it's it's an imprinting process. Every time you do something well, it imprints in your self-image. It's like you to do it well. Every time you do something wrong, it's like you to do it wrong. 
but also every time you think about or talk about or write about it. If you write about what went right or talk about what went right, your self-image grows. If you, if you talk about your mistakes and complain, your self-image shrinks. So um, it's up to you. It's a choice you make. You know, how, how are you going to deal with what happens to you in life? Yeah, you know, I, I remember this interview that, that you did and you talk about it in your book, right? Where essentially someone asked you, like you had this almost perfect streak, right? I think it was like 96 out of 400. And, yeah. you know, the report asked you like, so what happened on those two bad shots, right? And you were like, I don't remember. I only focus on the good. So is that really what you're talking about here? Yeah, that's right. And it's amazing to me that the, the media always wants to talk about your failures. Yes. You know, I mean, I was in an interview and a guy asked me, he said, okay, you, you shot a 598 out of 600 and you won a medal. Uh, what happened to those two nines? I mean, you, know, you shot 58 tenths. What happened to those two nines? I said, do you really want to know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you want to know uh, how I get nines? Maybe you could get nines like I get nines. I said, I want to focus on the nines, man. I, I, I shot 58 tenths, you know, and, and so that's, that's the difference between the people that are at the top is that they don't, they don't talk about uh, the outliers uh, so much. They don't talk about the score, but I can go almost anywhere in, in any sport and you know, like golf, go to a golf club and you know, golfers are coming off the, the, the course and you ask them, you know, well, how did you do? And most of the time they'll talk about what went wrong first and that'll keep you in the middle of the leaderboard. I mean, <laughs> you can't do that. You need to talk about what you, what you enjoyed, what was good. And that, I mean, that's a good way to live too. I mean, think about, uh, you know, I, you, you can sit and worry about what you don't like about somebody or what you don't like about your life or your job or, or your family. Nothing's perfect out there. And so, um, you know, we're not going to see perfection until heaven. So while we're still on this earth, uh, we're going to have to deal with the men perfections and people. And uh, but talking about what you like about them and what you like about your your world, and uh, it, it, it's going to improve the probability that you're going to continue to be happy. And if the the opposite is you're going to be miserable all the time, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> Very, very true. Now, I think to, to divide this for our listeners, it's going to be really helpful. So you have to divide this self-image process in really three steps, right? The anticipation phase, the action phase, and the reinforcement phase afterwards. So can you share a little bit about that and how we can sort of divide that whole process of actively changing our self-image in these steps? Yeah, I mean, they, everything we do in life has three phases to it. It has an anticipation phase where we're preparing to do something. It has an action phase when we actually do it. it. has a reinforcement phase, what you think about after you do it. And let's just take a golf shot, for example. I think everybody kind of knows what that is. So the anticipation phase is what you're thinking about to prepare your mind and your body for what you, what you do and what you're thinking about before you actually hit the, hit the shot. And so that's the anticipation phase. The action phase uh, starts when you hit the ball and ends when your club leaves the ball, which is a very fast action phase. As a runner, you have a long action phase. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but for most sports like golf, rifle shooting, archery, the action phase is so fast that we really don't think about much during the action phase. But the reinforcement phase is real important. What do you think about after 
the, uh, the, the action is really important. And, and actually these three phases, anticipation, action, and reinforcement are directly related to the three mental processes that I've been talking about. The anticipation phase is a conscious circle issue. The action phase is, is a subconscious circle issue and it's a skill issue. And the reinforcement phase is a self-image issue because what you think about what you've just done either grows or slows your self-image. It's, it's, it's how, did you, how do you handle that? If, if, you, if you do something well, like if a golfer hits a good golf shot, we recommend that they should, they should reinforce that. They should imagine that again. What, what does that feel like? Because give it a positive imprint, another positive imprint. The more imprints you get, the greater the probability you're going to get more results like that in the future. So rehearse what happened when it's good. Uh, when, when it's not so good, rehearse what would make it good. What, what's the solution to that issue? And, and then kind of let it go. Let the bad stuff go. Don't let it take that, uh, a bad thought into another shot or another, another uh, part of, the, part of the, the, the race or whatever you're doing. So they, they work together. And uh, um, sometimes people are surprised when I say, I'm more concerned about how you handle the reinforcement phase of, of, of things. Because they're, they're, how you handle your, what's your attitude about, about a race? When you finish the race, uh, it, if, if, if you can control your attitude there, it has a dramatic effect on whether or not, how you're going to do in future races. You know, the anticipation phase and the action phase only really affect the race that you're running now. But the reinforcement phase, what you think about after that race, that affects all, all the, the next race and, and, and maybe more than just the next race. Because what we try to get people to, to do is after a race or after whatever their, their, their sport is, is we try to get them to, to, to kind of answer three questions in a performance journal. As, uh, you know, what did I do right? Let's, let's, let's reinforce that. What did I learn? And uh, we learn more when we make a mistake than when we don't make a mistake. So the, uh, what did I learn? And, and, uh, and, and what am I going to do about it? So how is this going to, am I going to, is this going to, it's going to build me or break me? You know, it's, it's uh, your attitude about what happens to you. It's, uh, it's critical. And that's, that's, you, we got to constantly be reminded about that. And that's, and that's the reason why keeping a journal is so, is so very much important. You know, I love this so much because it really brings us conscious attention and deliberateness to, to these choices that we inevitably will make, right? I think the challenge is if you ask most athletes, they never even like think about like this as like a choice, right? They never even think about, hey, after the race, this is how I'm going to approach this. This is how I'm going to think about the good performances or the bad ones. They never choose these things and so do them sort of unconsciously without thinking about it, right? And what you're really saying here is like you can choose that, right? You can create a practice after every single, you know, training session, after every single workout, after every single race that allows you to perform better next time, right? It's exactly right. Uh, you're, you're, uh, how you respond to what happens to you is is a lot more important than athletes think it is. 
I mean, one of the reasons why I didn't move up to winning earlier uh, in my shooting career, why it took me three years to understand this, is that I was reacting to what happened. When I shot a bad shot, I, 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 I didn't like that. You know, and, and uh, I wasn't reinforcing my good shots. I was, I, I was, I was, I, I, I did kind of ignored my good shots, but when I had a bad shot, boy, I, you know, I, maybe I beat myself up a little bit. Maybe I beat myself up a lot. And uh, at the end of a tournament, you know, I look at my score and I compare it to my teammate's score. And, uh, you know, I started, you know, complaining a little bit and things like that. Well, that'll keep you, that'll keep you down. And I should have paid more attention to my teammates because, because they, they never talked about their bad shots. And it took me a while to catch on. I mean, when I really started working with uh, outside the sport, I, I started realizing that some of the people that I had a hard time beating, and, and they were gun gods. I mean, they, uh, Hall of Fame, and uh, uh, I mean, the, all of them were Hall of Fame guys. And, and they, um, they were just not determined. They just were not going to talk about their problems. And, uh, uh, and I, I, I just had to grow into that and learn that. Uh, but when I found out about self-image, it, it, it explained why positivity works. You know, people tell you, you got to be positive, you know, but then nobody ever tells you why. Well, you've got to be positive because your self-image is in jeopardy. Every time you, you're negative, your self-image shrinks. And, and you don't want that. You don't want your self-image to shrink. You want, you want your confidence to, to grow and your, uh, what's like you to, uh, your, your attitude about, about how, how you want to want to live and want to want to grow in your sport. And it's, it's, it's everything. So, and, and that's formed immediately after, uh, it's in your response. Do you respond or do you react to what happens? Yes, I, th I think this this idea of the self-image is such a critical one, whether it's, you know, regarding sports or regarding even general life, right? Like who we think you, we are, I think is the most powerful driver in the human psyche. So whatever you believe about yourself, right? Whether it's I'm, a, I'm great at this or I'm not good at this, it's going to determine how much effort we put in and therefore also the results we get over time, right? And so what you're saying is I love this so much. Yep, that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying that... Uh, Whatever you think a thing to be, that's what it becomes. Yeah, so, so it, it's it's critical. Yeah. So how do these skills um, sort of relate to to general life? Is it the same when you know you're working with business people, you're working a lot with you know secret service, all of these things? Are these skills um, sort of translatable, like one on one, to to other areas of life? Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, when I first started teaching middle management, I I, I tried working with Olympic athletes because they, they, they were the ones I knew. And that was a really poor business model because most, <laughs> most Olympic athletes are broke. <laughs> you know, it's not, not all sports have, have yeah. a monetary. Well, back in my day, you, you, you couldn't take any money at all. We were all amateur athletes. So none of us could, could earn any money. And uh, I should have picked up a golf club, not a rifle. I'd be a lot better off. <laughs> But, uh, but when I said, so, so what, what I did do to try to make it a, 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 a real business and to have a business model that worked is I started, so I started teaching business, business people and especially sales. And, and I found out that, uh, 
uh, the, 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 these these techniques uh, translated uh, well to to uh, improving a person's sales position and uh, making you know change your attitude about what you're doing. Uh, knowing the right thing to think about before you pick up a phone or before you make a presentation really matters and uh, how you respond to what happens to you and all these things that we've been talking about work very, very well in the business world. But it, what was really interesting is I would go to I'd be asked to, to do uh, talks at corporate events and things like that and to teach at corporate events. And, and I would, I would do the things that were, I think I thought applicable to business and, and at the end of the, the, the break, uh, or at the end of the talk, uh, I would be inundated by these business people wanting to say, well, this, this will work with my golf. <laughs> 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 so, wow. so then we started working with golf. And, and then I'll have people that come in to, to, to take training from us, uh, shotgun shooters. Uh, uh, a lot of shotgun shooters are, are uh, guys that are, maybe in their fifties or places like that, where they, they built companies and now they want to do something for themselves. They want to shoot shotgun uh, professionally. And, and so they'll, they'll come in and, and uh, I'll teach them. I'm trying to help them with their shotgun scores. And, and they, they say, well, would you come in and talk to my, to my company or, or would you, would you come in and, and, and talk to a, to a certain group? And, so I really think it's more of a life skill than it is anything else. And uh, what my passion has been uh, for the last uh, three or four years has been helping parents. Because I think the, the coaches that we teach, we do a lot of coach, coaches training here and to make people better coaches. And the coaches all tell me the same thing. If they work with juniors, they all tell me the same thing about that, that, that the, we, we try to help the kids, but the parents hold them back. Mm -hmm. And it's not the parents that don't care about their kids. It's the parents that say the wrong things to their kids. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, um, I, I said, well, we have to do something about that. We have to help, help the parents understand they're the most important mental coach that a child will ever have. And so I wrote a book called parenting champions and, uh, to try to help parents to know enough about mental management so that they, uh, empower their children and not not hold them back. They they love their children. They go they take them to tournaments, but they're very very important uh, because most of the things that the kids are going to learn about uh, things like confidence and and uh, and all that stuff is going to they're, they're going to have made those self image uh, decisions. They built that self image before they even live home. So uh, parents make a, a play a huge role in that and and most of the time they they just don't know what to do so we try to help them absolutely i'll, I'll call this a, an absolute must read for for any parent out there i think it's so critical to understand is it really sounds like your your dad um did much of this stuff almost not not probably not by accident but probably more more consciously but he did many of these things they talk about very very right right in terms of setting you up for future successful life and teaching you to write lessons and so i think this is so important to also teach this to to other parents out there yeah i think so and and i was fortunate to to have him and uh but and my mother uh great 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 uh, supporters of, of, of what i was doing and my wife uh you know over the years uh you know you, you don't have anybody that's really successful in anything 
if they're if they're married, they're, they're, if they're successful, their their spouse has probably been uh, equally um, uh, responsible for anything any success yes. that they ever did. You know, and and uh, I think sometimes people don't get the credit. Well, they they never get enough credit uh, for for the for, for what they 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 do and the encouragement that, uh, that that it requires to be able to have any kind of a normal relationship with a family, and yet try to do something at a level where you're the best in the world at it. It's it's a it it takes it takes a team effort, at least it did in my in my case. And 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 I'm I'm so thankful that. I've had, I had the parents I had, I have the spouse that I have, I have the, even my children, you know, all of my children are, uh, I've got three kids and they, they're grown now and they all, they're all master level instructors in mental yeah, management. It's working with you, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, they don't let me get away with anything, boy, if I'm negative, <laughs> they all jump, jump on me real quick. So, but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's been, it's been fun and it's been, uh, I think we've, uh, establish a, a system that is uh, is proven and uh, and works for 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 a lot of folks yeah i love this so much so so one big part of success is is obviously that's talked about a lot of this goal setting so can you share with us a little bit about you know biggest mistakes that you see people make when setting or trying to achieve goals in their lives well let's talk about winning for a minute um the definition that I think is most appropriate for winning is to reach the top level of your potential. Mm -hmm. And your potential is not, the, is not, people's potential is not equal. I mean, they're, 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 people have different potentials. I mean, my potential for basketball was pretty low. I mean, I was slow, <laughs> short, and uncoordinated. I needed to be seven foot tall, coordinated fast. That's what I needed to be if I was going to be a basketball player. But it's not just the physical uh, ability, but your your uh, your your potential. I mean, s some kids are academically uh, gifted in a way that I mean they have a greater potential. Uh, but everybody has a potential for something, and and uh, to, what we're really trying to do is to is to make you better today than where you were yesterday. And, and that's one of the things that's good about competition anyway. Competition, I'm, I love competitors because competitors set a goal to, 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 to reach a certain time or to reach a certain score or reach a certain level. And they, they set this goal and, and, they, and they go enter a tournament. Mm -hmm. and, and it takes a little bit of courage to say, hey, I'm going to match myself up with other people. You know, spectators sit there. It just takes no courage to be a spectator. You just, <laughs> yeah. you just go to the tournament and sit there. You know, you don't have anything on the line. You know, you didn't cost you any money to enter. You didn't have to train to enter. And, all. and you're not going to learn anything about yourself either. But the competitors are going to learn something about themselves in every event that they go to. And, and they have an opportunity, because they compete and train, they have an opportunity to, to become some, somebody more than they were. And, and that's really what goal setting is all about, is to, is to become, not just attain, that, uh, not just accomplish. Because accomplishment is... is Accomplishment and attainment are not the same thing. Accomplishment is, uh, 
it, it always has a number associated with it. It's, it's gold, silver, and bronze in the Olympics. It's, it's ABCDF in school. It's how much money you make. You know, so there's plenty of rewards out there for accomplishment, but attainment is, is not just what you accomplish, but also who you become in the process. I mean, what's the quality of the person? I mean, it's very hard to put a, a, uh, a number on confidence, you know, on, on uh, the kind of things that, that are who you are, you know, as, as a person. And, and that, that's one thing that goal setting needs to do. One of the things that you, you, you say, well, what's the most, what's one thing that you need to be thinking about? Well, I think you need a goal set and not just on what you can accomplish, but, but, but the kind of person you want to be in the process. I mean, how, how much stronger do you want to be uh, and, as, as, as a person, how you feel about yourself and how you feel about others and, and grow as a person, not just as, uh, as the results of the sport. Wow, I love this aspect of becoming better as a person so much. In fact, it's been one of the, I guess, most powerful practices in my own life, really determining who I want to be and how I want to show up separately from the goals, right? So you have that goal, right? And you're like, who do I need to be in order to actually achieve that, right? So how do you need to show up? What are the emotions? What are the thoughts? What are the attitudes, the beliefs? And so I love what you're saying about not just looking for accomplishments, but really combining that with actually becoming a better person yourself. That's right. That's right. You know, are you trustworthy? Are you loyal? Are you helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent? I was a Boy Scout. And Boy, Boy Scouts talk a lot about stuff like that. And I think that's, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, you, 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 uh, your quality of your life, your quality of your life is, a, is, a lot, is determined a lot by, by who you become in the process, not just what you accomplish. And reaching the the becoming better today than you were yesterday. That's 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 the that's the ticket. Yeah. So is that sort of like a daily process for you of every day getting clear on like this is who I want to become? Or what does that look like for you? Well, today you have to. You, you, the world is changing really quick. Um, you know, nobody saw COVID coming, and. Uh, and so things uh, we have to figure out. Okay, how do you run a business when you can't have anybody come in your in, in your in your office? Yeah. I mean, that was uh, uh, the challenge that we had. And uh, so we have chosen to do webinars and online courses and things like that. And uh, we're getting into podcasting. We have we've never even thought about podcasting wow. before. Obviously, we're going to have to do that, and so uh, different ways to communicate with our with our clients, and uh, you know, technology gives us. Uh, um, um, I think the whole world is a discovered you know Zoom calls and things like that to, to realize that uh, you know maybe we should all take a real good look at how how we teach, and that uh, uh, it, it's 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 definitely webinars and and online courses have advantages. And have their own advantages that are not available in things like audios or live seminars or, or things like that or books. You know, books are are great because for, it's it, it's the best bang for your buck to read yes. a book. You know, but but uh, you you can't ask a book a question and you can't you can't talk to the author. You can't uh, you can't you don't find out what. Uh, there's a real good chance that when the author wrote, wrote that book. 
say he wrote it five years ago. Within the last five, five years, he's probably learned some things that he wished he'd have put in the book. And uh, so coming to a live seminar or having somebody teach you directly and make application to you because when you read a book and that's, that's all you do, you, you're, you're, you're really limited, but it is, it is the best bang for the buck. But webinars, uh, you get the most current information from your, from your speakers. And, and I think I, I like what I like about podcasts is that, that but once, a, once you develop a, lo- a backlog of podcasts, uh, you, can, you can see, uh, you, can, you can select the podcasts that are, that are of interest to you right now. And not everybody's at the same spot. And so by, by looking back at, 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 at uh, if you do a good job of titling your podcast and the description, uh, pe- people can find the one that, uh, that fits them best. So it's, it's, uh, it's a great new medium that, uh, for us, and uh, we're just late to the aim, I guess. <laughs> yes, for sure. Now, we talked about a lot of great ideas, strategies, tools today. If you could give our listeners just one piece of advice or one challenge to take home and start taking action on today. What would be that one thing? I, I would say it's to, to respond appropriately to what happens to you in life instead of reacting to it. And to, um, when something happens to you, look at it this way. Say, okay, what's this? What's life teaching me here? Instead of, uh, this is something happening to me. You know, it might be something that's happening for you. You just don't know all the facts. I mean, if I look at my life, uh, I was devastated when they canceled that first rifle club meeting. I thought something was happening to me. Well, something wasn't happening to me. Something was happening for me. My, my father was a much better coach than the coach that was running that program. And uh, he got me to the Army marksmanship. And, uh, and so the, then I, I get to the Olympics and uh, um, uh, well, well, actually, one more before before that. Uh, when when that when the kid makes the the the, the statement, you know, I don't uh, I don't know who would have the best chance to win a gold medal Olympics, but I know who have the worst chance landing. I, I'm so glad that happened. At the time, I thought something was happening to me, but something was happening to me. It was something was happening for me. My Olympic dream was born because of that. I never would have won a gold medal in Olympics if it hadn't been for that kid. Yes. And so. Then I get a silver medal in the Olympics. I'm devastated. I choked in the Olympics. I could have won the gold medal and definitely had the, the skills to do it. And I was really down uh, after the – I mean, a silver medal is 10 times better than a bronze. Bronze, <laughs> bronze is 10 times better than no medal, medal at all. But a silver's not winning the Olympics. And, uh, uh, and I, I, was, I was down. And, but that wasn't something that was happening to me. That, that's my favorite medal of all the medals I've got. It's that silver medal because that medal gave me this business. It's fed my family for 45 years. So I can't, uh, you know, so my, my, my takeaway today is that uh, look at where you are and what's happening to you in life this way. If, if things are going good, why, why are they going good? Let's do that again. Let's keep it up. Let's let, this is what I want. This is, this is what you want to focus on. And if things aren't going good, what am I being taught? What, what do I need to do to fix it? What's the solution? Not the, not reinforce the problem, reinforce the solution, don't reinforce the problem. Your self image will grow and things will, it'll be better tomorrow than, it, than, than, than today. 
that's my take. Love that. Now, a final question. What does it mean for you to max out your life? To pray every morning that, that God uses me the way he wants me to, to be used. To, to, to follow. He's sovereign. I'm not. And uh, he's, he's piloting my boat, and I'm just back in the back paddling away. And uh, uh, I, want, I want to be... I want to be his his servant. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want to run the show. I want. I, I'm not smart enough to do that. I can't live my life by myself, and uh, so I'll I'll take advice from scripture, and I'll I'll try to I try to be a good guy, and uh, um, and love the Lord, and pay attention, and and uh, I think if I do that, everything else will fall into place. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this, you know, passively just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, friend, a loved one maybe, that you think could benefit from this content, please consider, you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them, as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.